Well, good morning. Somebody said, you must be preaching, Jason, because you wore a tie. How word got out to the other 30 people who chose not to come, I'm not sure. That's all right. I'm glad that you're here, and I'm glad that we can worship God together today. Did you see all those little cups of pudding out in the lobby? Wow, this is, we're talking about healing prayer today. We've got some ants that are going to need full resurrection, brother. I don't know. Is there an ant infestation? So you all know about it as much as I do. That's good to hear. The point is, make sure your kids don't lick out of those cups. And I'm looking at you, sister. Well, it is good to be together today. And uh, you know how powerful an image can be. Seeing a picture can just bring back so much emotion or thought or experience. I've got some pictures for you today. Uh, and just as you see those, I don't know what thoughts come to your mind. Maybe for some of you, uh, you have uh, reason for hope or faith. For some of you, maybe anger or thoughts of exploitation. These are images of, of faith healers in various, um, uh, throughout uh, recent history. Today we are talking about healing, but not about the abuses that can happen within that, not about the extremes, not about the, the razzle-dazzle or the, the shows or the TV evangelist. Today we're looking at Jesus. You all right, sister? Good. Today we're looking at Jesus, Jesus the healer. In fact, healing is one of the most frequent things that we see Jesus doing in the Gospels. In fact, I was reading in the Gospel of Mark this week, just in the first five chapters of that book, we see at least eight different healing episodes that Jesus is involved in. Whether it's physical healing, it's um, spiritual healing from demonic uh, presence, uh, uh, it runs the gamut. So much of Jesus' recorded earthly ministry shows him as a healer. I want to look at a couple of those examples in the early parts of Mark, and you can listen or follow along. Our first one is in Mark chapter 1 at verse 40, just a couple of verses from this story, where it tells us that there was a man with leprosy, and he came and he knelt in front of Jesus begging to be healed. If you want to, you can make me well again, he said. Moved with pity, Jesus touched him. I want to. He said, be healed. And instantly, the leprosy disappeared. The man was healed. This miraculous, instantaneous healing that Jesus extended to this man. He was willing. And this man somehow recognized the power within Jesus. If you are willing, you can make me well. He, he knew that power within Jesus. Here and throughout Jesus' healing miracles, we see him reaching out to those who are broken physically, to those who are oppressed spiritually, to those who have a, a material need. We see Jesus reaching across the socioeconomic divisions to those who are, for whatever reason, socially marginalized. 
Well, another one, chapter 2. This is, is probably a familiar story, but starting in verse 1, it tells us that several days later, Jesus returned to Capernaum, and the news about his arrival spread quickly throughout the town. Well, soon, the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors, there wasn't room for even one more person, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Well, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't get to Jesus through the crowd, so they dug through the clay roof above his head. And then they lowered the sick man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there said to themselves, What is this blasphemy? Who but God can forgive sins? Jesus knew what they were discussing among themselves, so he said to them, Why do you think this is blasphemy? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven, or get up, pick up your mat, and walk? Well, I will prove that I, the Son of Man, have the authority on earth to forgive sins. And then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, take your mat, and go on home, because you are healed. So the man jumped up, took the mat, pushed his way through the stunned onlookers, and they all praised God. The friends of this man loved him so much, and they had heard the tales of this Jesus who was healing, that they went to extreme measures that their friend might have an encounter with him, digging through the roof, lowering him down. Uh, they wanted to get their friend in front of Jesus. Now, in ancient Jewish tradition, it was often uh, believed that sickness or disease was the result of sin, that you got what you deserved for your rebellion against God. And that's why we see here this image of Jesus saying, your sins are forgiven, because very much in that culture, that was a part of healing. Now, there's still some elements in our thought today, I think, for many people that link sin with disease. I remember growing up in the 80s when the AIDS epidemic first became widespread, and there were those vocal folks who said that it was God's judgment on a certain demographic of people. There are times, yes, where sin is linked to our sickness. Our actions impact our health, whether it's drug or alcohol use and abuse, if it's my own gluttony that leads to my heart disease. So there are times where our actions contribute to our disease. But we now know, thousands of years later, that it's not always a causal link. There are genetic issues, there's birth defects, there's accidents, there's circumstances of life and traumas that others inflict upon us through no fault of our own that bring brokenness. But in this scenario, Jesus, teaching within the, the worldview, the framework of the people around him, 
says, I am not just some sideshow magician here making paralyzed people walk. I am God. Because only God can forgive sins. I have forgiven sin. Ergo, you make the connection. And then he says, but to show you, get up, walk. So in this moment, in this home, this man experiences spiritual healing as well as physical healing. And that truly was stunning to the people, to the religious leaders of that time. This shows us that Jesus is a holistic healer. In other words, he's not just concerned about your blindness, your, your being paralyzed. He's concerned about all of life and all of life's brokenness. He brings spiritual healing to the sin sickness in this man's life. He brings physical healing to the paralyzing sickness in this man's life as well. So we see both here and throughout Scripture lots of examples of Jesus' miraculous healing work. But now 2,000 years in these last millennia, there's been a lot of debate among scholars and people. Is God's divine healing still available? There are those who would say, no, it was just something Jesus did as a sign, as a manifestation of his presence when he was on earth. There are others who say they have the spiritual gift of healing. And again, I showed you those pictures where maybe sometimes that can be exploited or abused. Every Sunday I feel like I'm at a Benny Hinn convention with all the walkers we got here. I, it's <laughs> fabulous. And there's the whole gamut. But from my experience, from my understanding of Scripture, through our tradition, I am convinced that Jesus is still in the business of healing. That brokenness concerns God. And God is about healing and restoration. And not just the miraculous, you're blind, you're paralyzed, you have leprosy, but to every area of life. So in the next few minutes, we want to look together at what does healing look like today? Because I think just as Jesus brings healing in a multifaceted way, there are a numerous ways of which we need to understand healing. And this can be where I think sometimes we get hung up or our faith can get derailed because we misunderstand what God's healing can look like. So six or seven ways that we can still experience healing today. They're enumerated in your bulletin. They'll be on the screen. You can take some notes as well. And this is not an exhaustive list. You can probably think of others that we could add here together. But types of healing. The first is miraculous. I mean, we see Jesus doing these miracles, and the definition of a miracle is something so out of the ordinary, so unexpected, it blows our minds. And there can still be miraculous healing, where in an instant something has changed that should not have been. Now, this, I think, is why we sometimes get confused about healing. Because when we pray for healing, when we expect healing, I think 98.3% of the time, our minds go to the miraculous. Whether we're praying, God, I have a cold, heal me, 
and we think, when I open my eyes, I should be completely well. Or we think, my mom has this profound, serious illness. God, heal her. And then it doesn't happen the way we wanted it to. It's not like in some of the other examples in Mark where where Jesus goes to Peter's mother and one moment she's sick, the next she's cooking breakfast. And so we think, this whole thing's a scam. Why can't we get God to do what I want? And sometimes we can get mad at God, think it's not real. Miraculous healing is just part, one way in which God can heal. And if we were to have a a discussion, there are probably some of us in this room who have either experienced or know people who have experienced a miraculous healing. And it can be that I could not walk and now I can, but it can touch all areas of life. Maybe it was an addiction. Maybe it was a psychological trauma. Maybe it was a brokenness. You fill in the blank. And there are times, there are places where Jesus alone can touch and change and transform in a way that we cannot fully explain. But that's a very small part of healing. And let us not think that that is the only way that we attribute healing to God's work. Another way that God heals is in the process. If miraculous is instantaneous, I think of the process of healing. And I love the image here because think of how God has designed us. He made our bodies to, in most cases, heal. You know, if if you get a cold, if if you get a, a cut, God has designed you in a masterful and wonderful way to heal. Nine times out of ten. The famous spiritual healer A.B. Simpson, founder of the Seventh-day Adventist tradition, he said that healing, even by faith, is not always instantaneous. There are miracles and there are gifts of healing, the one sudden and stupendous, the other simple and probably gradual. Healing can be a process. Now, I think when most of us pray, we're expecting that miraculous healing. I want it done now. And so when it takes a week or two for our body to run the course of a cold and to heal itself, we're not so quick to attribute that wellness back to God. But that is part of God's healing work. And I think in this process, sometimes God invites us to be a part of the work. For example, praying for God's healing of the effects of an addiction to some substance Well, God probably wants you to be a part of that healing process by stopping abusing the substance. Or praying to God that my high blood pressure be cured, which I don't have. God wants me to be part of the process by losing weight, which he does. So process healing is still just as much God's work, and he often invites us to be part of it. Sometimes in healing, God uses others, though. And while this was not so much an understanding in that uh, uh, early Jewish time when we went from B.C. to A.D., 
we now have other means and technology of understanding sickness and its processes. And I believe, I know that God can use those elements to bring healing, whether it's doctors, medications, technology, hospitals, and we are grateful for those resources. Let us not uh, juxtapose them. It's either God healing or it's the doctor. God can use medical technology and people as part of that healing work. Let us not rely wholly on that medical field, but let us recognize it is from God. There's a headline this week uh, from Idaho, maybe you saw it, where they for some time apparently have had the, the legal right that parents uh, can seek faith healing for their children. And we certainly believe that God heals. But the law is such that if the kid dies, you're exempt. You're all good. And I don't know what the stats were. I don't remember over the years how many kids have died in Idaho because their families were solely and exclusively um, anticipating spiritual faith healing. That is one way that God heals. And I'm not knocking people of that tradition. But we have to recognize that God heals in a more multifaceted way. And sometimes it's through the use of others intervening into our lives. Brother Bill, aren't you glad that God heals through little devices and do-witches that can be put on your heart? Was that not God at work there? I believe it was. So he can use others. Another way that God heals, and I think this is really his greatest heartbeat, is spiritual healing. All of us have a disease. Now, some of us may have ones that differ, hard of hearing, blind, athlete's foot, who knows what you've got going. I don't frankly want to know at the moment. But all of us have a sin sickness a sin sickness that will lead to death, in fact, to eternal death and separation from God. That is Jesus Christ's greatest priority, greatest desire to bring healing to, to the sin sickness of our souls. We saw that in Mark 2, where he says, your sins are forgiven to this man. And as part of that process, he experienced physical healing. Well, to every one of us and to those beyond these walls around the world today, God says, I want to bring healing healing to that sin sickness in your soul. And while he has the power, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> Ben, would you get me a glass of water, please? He doesn't do that against our will. God does not heal against our will, whether it's the sin sickness or I believe even the physical. He wants us to be engaged with him, to respond to him, to seek him him. What did we just see in Mark 1? That man came to Jesus and said, if you are willing. The friends brought the man to Jesus knowing an encounter with him. If you read on later in Mark, there's this amazing story. Jesus pushing through this crowd and this woman, she knows there's power in him and she sneaks up and just touches the edge of his robe. Nothing magical about the robe, but she knows that there is power in this man. And she had to have the courage to reach out and encounter him. When we reach out, when we 
encounter Jesus, when we extend ourselves to him, he will bring healing. And that greatest healing is to the sin sickness of our soul. That's really why Jesus came. That his death on the cross might pay the penalty. Thank you very much. Oh, got the big cup. Appreciate that. I'm surprised you didn't just fill a communion cup for me. That's my son. I know the rest of you would have got a big gulp. Thank you. I'll use it sparingly. Ah, so refreshing. Thank you. Jesus' first and greatest desire for healing is that sin sickness in our lives that we all need. Another way that God heals, and I think this is one that is, it's certainly not the one we want when we're praying for healing. This is not the way we're hoping God will show up. But it is still a very real part of healing, I believe. And that, that is that God can give us the strength and the grace to endure. God never promised that life is going to be free and easy, pain-free, no calamities, but he promises he will be with us in the midst of them. And sometimes that's what healing looks like. Our body may still be broken. The emotional scars of a trauma may still be debilitating. But God is with us. And if we will press into his presence, if we will receive his strength that will help us to endure in the midst of crippling dis-ease, that too is healing. And when this is the kind of healing path that God chooses, I think it is easy for us to grow discouraged, to lose hope, to say, well, why? Why wasn't there that miraculous healing? Why didn't the doctors work? But even in the midst of that, if we will say yes to God's strength and grace, that in its own way is a type of healing. Now, I'm not trying to make excuses for God. I'm not making a cop-out here. God always heals. It just looks different for some people. Now, there's truth in that, but I'm not using that as a cop-out. I don't understand how God heals entirely. God chooses to heal how God chooses to heal. But I know from experience, Scripture, and tradition that it looks different in different ways. And I'm not going to say it's God not healing if he gives me the strength to endure a painful and difficult situation. It may not have been the kind of healing that I would have scripted, but will I still praise God for his healing in that way? I hope so. And then there is ultimate healing. Now, some of you know, in my other work, I'm a funeral director, or as I like to call it, an ultimate healer. Because death is the ultimate healing. In all of recorded history, there's only two or three guys I can think of who got out of here without dying. And you can be healthy your entire life, but at some point, this body is still going to stop working. And for some of us, in very painful and difficult circumstances, 
Death is that ultimate healing. And again, I'm not using this as a cop-out. But this is a very real way that God can bring healing. Now, as a funeral director, I look at lots of death certificates. Every one of them, a doctor or some medical professional, has had to write on there why this person died. And in every case, it's because something stopped working right. There was some disease, some illness, some unknown reason. Because for all of us, our body is going to stop working. But in some cases, when we pray for God's healing touch, and then our loved one dies, we may be devastated. We may shake our fists and say, why, God? But I would hope we can come to the point where we see, ah, even in this, God was healing. Because my loved one is no longer in pain. They're no longer suffering. They have a new body in the presence of God. That in its own way is a healing. Now, does it leave a void, a pain, a, a, a hurt in our lives? Yes. And I'm not saying we, we, we ignore that pain or grief <clears throat> and put on some cheesy smile and say, oh, he's not suffering anymore. I have customers who will come in and say that. I'm not, I, I'm, I'm not deriding them. I'm not judging them. There are people who will say, well, at least he's not suffering. And I use that as a pastoral moment to say, yes, we celebrate that. But it is still a loss. It is still a painful grief. Even if your mother was 101, we celebrate her life. But there's still been this transition for you. One moment she was there, now she is not. That is a loss. That is a grief. But we still have to recognize that even in death, God can be healing. And again, his healing takes many different forms, and I can't control it. It may not be the one that I would have scripted, but will I still thank God in the midst of it? Not thank God for killing this person. That's not what I'm saying. But thank God that his grace and strength was with them. Thank God that his plan is to provide a new body that is free of pain and suffering. Thank God that he is healing. Jesus is the healer. To be healed, though, we must seek him. We must come to him. We must expect him to heal. And we must yield ourselves to him. I don't think it's real effective if we say, God, I want healing, and it has to look exactly like this. Rather, a yielding of saying, God, heal, but help me to understand what that will look like in this situation. Healing or healing prayer, it's not magic. There's not some incantation or book of spells that if we do it just right, we can control God. That's what the pagan world thought, that if I do the ceremony just right, God has to do what I say. I got the two eyes of Newt, you know, I got the wings of a dragonfly, and I said the incantation, bam, it has to happen. God is not that way. We can't control him, but we can partner with him. We can seek him for healing, and in fact, Scripture gives us instructions on doing that. 
Turn with me or follow along on the screen with me as we look in James chapter 5. <clears throat> James chapter 5, really the subtitle in my Bible for this whole section is The Power of Prayer. It talks about prayer in many ways, but it gives us specific instructions for healing prayer. James chapter 5, starting in verse 13, it says, Are any among you suffering? They should keep on praying about it. And those who have reason to be thankful should continually sing praises to the Lord. Are any among you sick? Well, they should call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. And their prayer, offered in faith, will heal the sick, and the Lord will make them well. And anyone who has committed sin will be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and wonderful results. I'm not going to pretend to have prayer all figured out. To me, it's 98% mystery, and I have to be okay with that. But what I do understand is that God says, bring all of life to me in prayer. Prayer is conversation. Prayer is relationship with God. He says, are you suffering? Bring it to me. Are you rejoicing? Bring it to me. If you only show up in the bad times, God's going to say, well, did you not get the memo on the good stuff that happened I sent your way? Bring all of life, all of its joys, hurts, and concerns before God in prayer. And then, specifically, James writes, are you sick? Call for the elders of the church, the church leaders, and have them pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. also talks about confess, confessing our sins, being forgiven. Confession is a very powerful part of healing. It's restorative. In our confessing of sins, we are restored in relationship to God. In our confessing of grievances with one another, we are restored in broken relationships. In the confessing of my rebellion and my brokenness, I can experience psychological, emotional, and even physical healing. And then it says here to be anointed with oil. Again, don't misunderstand. <clears throat> Nothing magical about it. I think that James is intentionally using this symbol of oil, which we still use today, because it had several meanings. Oil was used as a medicine of its day. It was used for cleaning out wounds. So in the minds of his readers, <clears throat> it had a medicinal effect to it. But also in the minds of his Jewish readers, they knew throughout their history the significance of anointing with oil. For it was the priests, it was the leaders who were anointed with oil as a symbol, as a sign of being set apart for God, of being God's dedicated wholly to God. And so I think... James is giving us that instruction here of oil for its dual symbolism 
a sign of God's healing power, a sign of our submitting to him, of being set apart for him. Some say also that that James intentionally mentions oil so that people don't don't tap into the the pagan misbeliefs, the... the, the, um, uh, incantations, the use of charms. Oh, if I use leg bone of a bat and, a, and whatever, I can control God. When I visited the city of Corinth, where Paul, wow, that was good, long-lasting, thank you. The city of Corinth in Greece, where, of course, Paul's letters, First and Second Corinthians, Archaeologists there have uncovered these clay pottery body parts because, they speculate, it was the pagan thinking of that time, if you have an illness, if you have an injury, you make a, a, an idol, an image of a, he, of, a, of a whole, of a well body part. That is a, a charm, if you will, a, a, a magical device for making you well. Now, I think where they dug must have been the Viagra workshop of the day because most of the pottery parts were phallic. I'm just saying. But they found other body parts. If you had an injury or an illness, you would have this charm made. It's not like that. James says, keep it simple. It's not about a trick. It's about faith. Again, I've already said I don't fully understand all of this, but I do know that I've experienced God's healing. God's healing for the sin sickness of my soul, yes, but also physical healing. When I was in college, I developed what is called cluster headaches. Neurologists say it's among the most intense pain that humans can endure. I don't know about that. Those of you that have given birth probably still have a leg up on me. But it is these intense, short headaches that come in a cluster, a a time frame. In my case, at that time, I would get one every day, the same time of day, and it could go on weeks or months. And since they are short, since they're intense, there was really no treatment for it. It's not like popping two Tylenol are going to help because by the time they dissolve, the pain has moved on. But in the midst of that, it is quite debilitating. There were often times I wished I could just gouge my eye out because the pain was right behind my right eye. And I went to neurologist, and there is some medication that helps. But when I was in college, the church that I was worshiping at, it was their custom every month that in conjunction with communion, they offered prayer for what they called the healing of human hurts. And you were invited after communion, if you were seeking healing, to come forward. And in James's instructions, they would anoint you with oil and the leaders of the church would pray for you. And I'm not the kind of person that goes forward to every altar call. I'm not real emotive in those ways. <clears throat> but I knew I was desperate. I I knew I was at the end of me. And so at that invitation, I went forward, and I was prayed for. And I'm not going to say it was magical, but it was. 
the end of that cluster. After that prayer, no more headaches. Now, the clusters have come again over the years and in different forms. So I don't fully understand God's healing, but I know in that moment, that moment of my desperation, that I reached out to God, I yielded myself to him, he did something. And I'm grateful for that. And so today, we're going to take communion together. If you've been with us, you know through this whole season of Lent, we are taking the bread and the cup together as a reminder, as a refocusing to center ourselves on Christ as we prepare to journey with him to the cross and from the cross to the empty tomb. But today as well, we are going to offer prayer for the healing of human hurts. I love that phrase because our prayer is as broad as the pain of life itself. Maybe you have a physical need. Maybe you have an illness or a disease. Maybe it's a psychological trauma. Maybe it's that sin sickness of soul. Maybe it's a need in some other category. Maybe it's not even for yourself but on behalf of another. We're just going to follow God's instructions. Again, nothing magical, no money-back guarantee, but a promise that God hears our prayers and an assurance that God will be about his healing work. It may not look like how I would have wished. It might be instantaneous and miraculous. It might be a process. It might ultimately lead to ultimate healing. But we're just doing what God says. And so this is what I, I, I'm offering. In a moment, we're going to invite you to take communion. And I've asked Ron and Elena to assist me. They'll come forward in a moment. They'll be standing at, at each aisle here with the bread and with the cup. As you're ready, just come by the center aisle. Take a piece of the bread, one of the cup and return by the center aisle, and then you can partake as you're ready. But if you choose to seek prayer for the healing of human hurts, I would invite you after you partake, just linger here in the front area, whether you're able to kneel, you wish to sit, you prefer to stand. If you want a family member or a friend to join you, ask them. We're not going to make this a spectacle. We're not going to whack you. We're not going to have people that are trying to catch you before you concuss yourself. We're just going to do what God said to do. And it says elders, and I've asked Elizabeth to join me in prayer. She's probably one of the youngest people here. Elders is not a chronological issue. It's a spiritual maturity issue, and she has a beautiful spirit for that. And so she and I will just simply and quietly ask you, how can we be in prayer for you? We're not going to broadcast this. And then, again, just doing what God says. We have some anointing oil, nothing magical about it. Ooh, Pastor James has the oil of gladness. Says lily of the valley. What's that smell like? Wow. I did not know Avon made anointing oil. That is beautiful. 
Again, nothing magical. We'll just put a little dab on you as a symbol of God's medicinal healing and being set apart for him, and we will pray for you. And then as you're ready, you can return to your seat. Feel no pressure. We're just doing what God said to do. So where are the broken areas of your life? As you're preparing to take communion to come forward, I think in your, in your bulletin, in the sermon outline there, we've left some blanks. Where do you desire God's healing touch? Where are you desperate for Jesus? I invite you to write, fill in some of those blanks. Maybe you're recognizing that sin sickness which has not been yielded to Christ yet. Maybe you say, I've got <clears throat> this diagnosis. I'm facing this situation. I have a friend or family member who's facing this ordeal. None of it is out of God's concern or care. Write it down. Come forward to receive prayer for God's healing touch. Does it make sense what I'm asking? If you're a guest with us today, don't be freaked out. Don't feel that you have to be a spectator either. For us, communion is an invitation to encounter Jesus. Nothing magical about the bread or the juice. They are simply reminders of what Jesus did on the cross for me so that I might live with him who resurrected from that grave three days later. Preach it, sister. So if you desire communion, we invite you, as you're ready to come by the aisle, take a piece of the bread, a cup, partake. If you desire prayer, please linger that we might pray with you and then return to your seat and be in the spirit of prayer for those in our body and beyond who are desperate for Jesus. Tim will provide some musical accompaniment, and then when we're ready, and we may still be praying, but whatever the timing needs are, uh, he'll lead us in a song of response. So as we prepare uh, for communion, I want to invite Elena and Ron and Elizabeth uh, to join me. we remember how Jesus, on the night before his crucifixion, was having a final supper with his closest disciples. And as part of that ceremonial meal, he took bread and he broke it and he gave thanks to God and he offered it to each one saying, take, eat. This represents my body, which is broken for you. And at the end of the meal, he took the ceremonial cup, and again, he gave thanks to God, and he offered it to each one, saying, Drink of this, all of you, for this represents my blood, the blood of a new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. He said, Do this in remembrance of me. And so today, we remember. It may be bread and juice, but it is a reminder of Christ's broken body and shed blood that would ultimately lead to my healing.